Welcome everybody to Too Legit to Crit, a tabletop role-playing podcast hosted by the human equivalent of Justin's Dice Rolls. Wow. Just going in deep with that one. Okay. Well, you called me out last week, so I I had to kind of, you know, amp it up a tiny bit. I mean, again, you're not wrong, because my dice rolls are terrible and we are terrible human beings, so So, I I get your point. (laughs) So my name is John Santana. Uh, I'm still Justin. That hasn't changed. All right, still Justin. Should it be? Mm. Should we start calling you like Steel Justin? <laughs> I'm like a Pokemon now. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna either. That, I mean, I don't like Justin Steel because that just sounds porny. Yeah, it, it does. It very yeah. much does. Or like, uh, like '80s action film. Justin Steel. <laughs> Stars in. <laughs> so, what have you been up to this week, buddy? Uh, I have been up to absolutely nothing um i i've been trying to get my life in order uh primarily um i did have a bit of fun chatting to a relatively young player um good friend of ours's child um who has been involved in their dnd club at their school um and we were just going through like puzzle ideas and concepts and stuff so that was quite fun but other than that absolutely nothing that's fair you know getting your life in order is always a Sort of a good thing. I don't want to go that far. <laughs> well, what about um, yourself? What have you uh, been up to? Well, I have been inputting an ama- a stupid amount of data into Obsidian mm-hmm. um, because I am slowly getting my Delta Green campaign prepared for when for when I'm ready to run that. So essentially, I'm kind of going through the agent's handbook and and going through that um but also um i downloaded a new system that at some point we have to try okay so this is one that's going on the list is it it is definitely going on the list i downloaded it yeah day before yesterday Mm -hmm. and it is called bind okay right and bind stands for bind is not dungeons and dragons uh I love the name. And here's the interesting thing about it. It is an open source RPG. Interesting. And, you know, I would love to tell you all about it, but I am nowhere near clever enough. Also interesting. So um, we have a guest on the show today. It is the person who actually, you know, brought this out into the world. Marlin Freeborn. Oi, oi. How are we doing? Oh, now well, I see why you said I'd have a lot of questions once I found out what he does. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Malin. Cheers for having me on, guys. No, thank you. Thank you for coming on and, you know, classing up the place a tiny bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can go that far. You got high hopes, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> so, you know, I... You and I interacted slightly on Mastodon, and I posted something about, you know, we were looking for guests in the in the sort of uh, tabletop role playing space, and you came forward and kind of, you know, introduced yourself. And mm. I started kind of watching some of the videos that you've got up. I was definitely invested in this um, this open source RPG concept because. Although the concept itself of open source is not new to me, how that applies to role-playing games is. So mm-hmm. would you like to tell us about yourself and 
talk to us about Bind. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I'm a bit boring, but I'll go on about Bind all you like. <laughs> um, so the basic intuition was just trying to flip this thing in his head. I think a lot of people might have heard the the famous article on fantasy heartbreakers, where somebody makes a, a fantasy RPG, which is basically like Dungeons and Dragons, and it's got a couple of interesting ideas, like a few cool monsters, or maybe it's got a, a really good magic system. It's never fancy and magic like D&D. Everyone hates it. But anyway, the the idea behind this article is it's just heartbreaking that people pour their souls into this and the end result is not really that good. Um, and I just wanted to flip this in his head. I got kind of, I felt a bit resentful about this article because when you look at it, you're comparing Dungeons and Dragons, which is made by a team of some hundreds of people at the least. And they've yeah. got like multiple editors and typographers and, and all this other stuff. And you're comparing it to one person's output over... And maybe you take a couple of years to write a book or something. Yeah. Um, so firstly, the comparison's not fair. But then I thought, okay, it's fair in the sense of you need to pick a game. You do need to rate these things. And if something's a bit rubbish, there's no use saying, well, it's rubbish, but there's a good reason. It's still rubbish, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but so the, the inversion came when I started to think, what if, what if people weren't doing this again and again with their own things? What if we didn't recreate it? What if you thought of it as like just swap a bit. And we're starting to see a bit of that already. Like uh, Vaults of Varn, it's, it's a fairly rare thing, but it's basically a copy of Knave. And the only reason it exists is because this creator could copy Knave, make the adjustments they want, and now it's really easy to produce. And Knave was, Knave was a copy of Into the Odd and a little bit of Cairn. And again, those things are open source. You could just copy paste the text. And then you only, I say only, you only have the barrier of typography, publishing, editing your the, the things that you've changed, and playtesting just the new rules that you're putting yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, Not only, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's still, <laughs> still a pretty big barrier. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like the the easiest comparison to make would be like trying to compare an indie video game to like a AAA title from EA, right? Right. I suppose, so in those cases, um, yeah, people do tend to do, to do both. I think that's less common with RPGs. You really, you've got much more limited time, so you want to do just the best you can do. And also, it takes so long to get into a system. A computer game, you just turn on, you expect it. You yeah. expect to be spoon-fed. Nobody uh, wants yeah, to read three books to see which ones are the all right ones. <laughs> um, so the basic thought here is, what if we lower the barrier to entry even more and you you literally put up the source files publicly so anyone can jump in and go like uh, i've had somebody fix one spelling mistake uh, or when i asked for an artist to put things uh, to put a couple of pictures in he put in the pictures directly into the book so you know it's it's just it's just there and any artist could in theory get a full copy of the book put their picture in and the entire thing like it won't need to be redone you won't need to redo the index because it's all automated it's all just a whole bunch of text you write in the text compile it you know export to pdf as you normally do and the book comes out the other side so the idea is it's really really easy to modify or at least as easy as i could make it i find it fascinating i do um because the whole concept of people adding things to an rpg is something that we are kind of seeing in in the major releases however they do it in a very sort of confined way where it's mm -hmm. okay we're releasing a playtest give us your feedback whatever sticks sticks 
from what I'm gathering, Bind is just taking that to the extreme and just kind of going, this is the system. However, if there's anything you want to change, there you go. It's all yours. Um, yeah, so this is taking it to the extreme. Uh, it's a little like that. The other famous article on, I don't know, has anyone ever read The Cathedral and the Bazaar? No. <laughs> maybe, it's, is... maybe it's not well known. In, in the interest of moving things along, let's go with no, we haven't. This is, <laughs> this so is the idea not is... the right forum to ask if people have read stuff, Marlin. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So the broad idea is that uh, the cathedral is a monolith with a single source of knowledge, like a pope or whatever. And the bazaar is a lot more messy and it's full of gossip and rumors, but uh, you, the bazaar kind of gets things done far faster by just having 10,000 little voices all gossip around each other all the time. And and that's basically the idea here. Um, unfortunately, so far, it's mostly just been me. I've had a few people jumping in and helping out with spelling mistakes, but but the end goal, the, like, the big dream I've got is that um, a few other people could get involved and they wouldn't think about asking me if something's okay. They wouldn't stop and say like, oh, could we, could we make this change? They would just make that change on their own copy. And mm -hmm. if I like it, I'll take in their changes. And if they like my changes, they'll, they'll do that. And maybe nobody likes each other's changes and, and they go, screw you guys, we're, we're splitting off. You know, it's going to be people's front to bind instead. And and they'll do their own copy, and that's that's great as well. So so just just to kind of think out loud, it's a bit like the way GitHub works for programming, but for a D and D system, or it's like not a D &D system, on, a, an RPG system. It's hosted on every Git I could find on that GitHub GitLab. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I mean, I, I've done a I've done a lot of work in in GitHub in particular for for coding and stuff. Because I used to do a lot of stuff around. Um, like role play servers for for GTA and stuff, um, and that that is something that happens quite a lot. Where somebody will develop uh, for one of the core frameworks, um, but then somebody else will like fork it and tweak it so that it works on one of the other core frameworks. And but like for that to to happen, like some something changes in it, which makes it kind of almost a different element, but still the same concept. And I think that's a, that's really cool. I'm, yeah, I'm actually a little bit overwhelmed by how cool this is. <laughs> Hence why I didn't tell you anything about it. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you want to make any changes, it's, it's there. It's sort of a little bit technically programmed. All the sentences are normal sentences. You just type in, you know, take 2d6 yeah. and add blah, blah, blah. But um, the monsters are coded because I got, I got a little bored of typing out the stat block like oh here's a little table and it's going to show the goblin strength and the hit mm. points are always equal to six plus the strength it's not a difficult sum to do in your head but it's just kind of tedious yeah. so i eventually got latex to build the goblin for me um and after that i i kind of got bored of copy pasting in goblins and thought why don't I, why don't i have this make its own goblin and it will do a strength somewhere in the rough goblin range of what the strength bonus should be and then randomly assign it so you can just stick down backslash goblin three times and you'll be given three totally different goblins that's i saw that because i was watching some of your videos and you do kind lie. of take a, a programmer's approach to to RPG design. Yeah. And That's very exciting to me. <laughs> it was, and it is, it is fascinating because I think one of your things was 
using if statements to design mm. RPG adventures. And it's like, I find that really cool because it's something that, I mean, I have very basic knowledge of programming um, and it would never have occurred to me to, to do something like that. And, and watching your video, it's like, holy shit, this is fascinating how you've, how you've kind of intertwined these two, these two things. Oh, cheers. I think, I think by now you'll be like a quarter of the view count. <laughs> like four people have seen that video. It's a tiny um, little PeerTube account with uh, some nerd talking about LASIK and RPGs. <laughs> I think the, the, the most interesting thing there for me is like the, the essentially the, the creature generator, right? Is what you were kind of just describing there is you ask for a goblin and it generates you a random goblin every time. And if you need three of them, you just do it three times. Um, I've actually considered doing something like that before. And I don't even know why I didn't do it. Like, I think I was, it was one of those things where, because I've, I've, I've got a bit of a programming background and I thought about doing something like that and I just never did it. And now to hear that you're actually doing it, that's really cool. <laughs> The funny thing is, I don't actually know how to program with the one exception of LaTeX. Like I, I just learned, I learned it by accident because I kept trying to, I was just lazy and I kept trying to find typography shortcuts. So we might have that's to my only have a discussion after this. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd never even heard of LaTeX before I watched your videos. So that's where my knowledge ended up. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a little weird and janky. It's a bit of a weird, <laughs> it's literally a 1970s programming language that started before the C language. Um, yeah. it's, it's not necessarily difficult, but it does these weird, unexpected things. Like um, you, you can't do anything with numbers except add. So if you want to, you know, do minus five, you have to add Negative the five. negation of yeah. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've dealt with languages like that before. Yeah, it's great. Um, the best, like, if you want to divide, you have to multiply by, um, like, in another language I've dealt with, uh, if you want to divide, you have to multiply by, like, 0.5 if you want to do, like, divide by 2. That's always a fun one. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, you're, you're sitting there with, like, a calculator, like, right in the program, you're like, okay, now if I want to divide by 17, I need to, and that's going to be, like, point, right, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and at one point getting into advanced math theory, like, oh, technically you can do square roots just by doing addition. You're like, yeah, I know you can, but I don't want to. Don't. No, Donald Knuth, <laughs> don't make me do it in LASIK. I don't want to. Um, but mo mostly people don't have to do that. For the most part, you just write in words and the words come out the other end and you use backslash goblin. And if if the stuff I've written works, then <laughs> you should just get a goblin out the other side. It's fairly straightforward. So I want to talk about the system itself. And let me just bring up the, the PDF because I've got it. Because one thing that, that I found really interesting was how you deal with skills in the system. So, mm -hmm. I, so I kind of scrolled through. I was about 100 odd pages in. Now I need to scroll all the way back <laughs> to skills because I didn't think this out beforehand. Um, that sounds about right. But yeah, so first skills, essentially, um, uh, many systems have done it where you kind of add a, a skill investment as well as an attribute to your role. But what mm -hmm. I found really interesting is that you don't have a specific attribute 
attached to a specific skill. You attach an attribute depending on what you want to do with said skill. And that, right. I, that I found really interesting. Um, like, for example, you've got um, academics. Let's take academics, for example. Mm. And then you've got this, this table where you've got different situations from which, in which you'd use your different attributes coupled with your academic skill. For example, academic strength would be orating to a massive crowd. Academic academics dexterity would be forgery. Academics in speed would be courier runs. And I found that really. Where did you get the idea for that concept? It was it was sort of from sort of from White Wolf. Like when you read White Wolf, you can see that dexterity is paired with driving. And then there's there were some little notes just in a, I think a few of the bo books that you could in theory pair it with other things. And the GM might say you know, intelligence plus drive to navigate a route before you actually go on it. Hmm. And then when I, when friends were running D&D &D and I went back, I noticed how inflexible and weird it is that they've just got these attribute bonuses. And I thought, what, what is this actually doing? I mean, it's kind of telling you that very wise people are very, tend to be good at other things, but this probability adjustment is so small that you're not really going to notice it in the system. And there's a whole bunch of extra work and you may as well just have a whole load of skills which it does it has you know like a table of 300 skill uh, a big list of 300 skills or something mm. so then jumping back to the white wolf thing i thought you could you could do much better with mixing and matching these these different things i mean maybe charisma wouldn't always pair with with empathy maybe empathy could go and do something else uh and then you could cut out the number of skills you could say uh i, I don't know like subterfusion intimidation could be kind of the same like strength plus subterfuge is the ability to say i'm gonna beat you up convincingly yeah and then after that clicks i thought well let's let's just make it the rule because if you if you only have straight skills and you're adding attributes it's just work and you you've still got all these skills but if you do an x by y table like a, a table i mean if you do a table then you could have like four attributes and 10 skills now you've only got 14 things, but you have 40, four zero things coming out the other side. So you get all this detail in the system and all your abilities pair naturally so that academics tend to be good at oration and tend to be good at uh, all this other stuff, but it's not actually uh, it's, it's not actually necessary because there are deviations in the other things. So you get all the detail out the other side, but you've done almost none of the work. I really like that because that, that is something that like as as a 5e player that is something that's always kind of bugged me and the one that has bugged me the most actually one that you kind of mentioned there is intimidation right because intimidation is charisma based but I don't see why you wouldn't find the barbarian who's got like stupid strength intimidating you would but you can't like you might not have a high charisma because barbarians aren't really charismatic people generally right when you're building them Obviously, you can build right. them that way, but yeah, I mean that's that's deeply weird. That you see a guy at the yeah. corner of the bar who can't speak properly. His half his face is missing. He's got big scars. Yeah. He just kind of but, grunts. But he's not intimidating. <laughs> he's not intimidating because no. he's not a the happy go lucky elf that everyone gets along with who always remembers your name. Terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's one of those things that's always bugged me, and, and this this literally eliminates that issue because if you want to intimidate with a skill that you are good at, you just find a different way to intimidate. Yeah, I mean, just looking at it, for example, athletics plus intelligence would be used to finding the easiest route to climb. Mm. 
Mm, my climbing friends are always uh, talking to me about how cerebral it is. Like, it's a strangely cerebral sport where they, they sit and stare at a wall for yeah. like 20 minutes going like, oh, if I put my left foot up there while I'm swinging around, then technically I could do that. Um, it came as a shock to me, but I thought, fair enough. It's intelligence-based. <laughs> yeah, well, no. I mean, I, like, my, my brother used to do a lot of climbing, and I was, I was about to say literally what, what you just said there is, like, they do. They sit there and they, they plan out their entire route, and if it doesn't work, then, you know, they sit at the bottom again and go, like, well, why didn't that work? That should have worked. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it's just as much, a, you know, a, a brain operation as it is a, a strength one or a dexterity one, depending on the climb, because some of them are quite dexterous with their jumps and the finger grabs and stuff i think i just find mm. it like a really elegant solution because mm. um I, like justin plays um 5e I'm, I'm a pathfinder player but they do kind of suffer from the same problem of you've yeah. got these these skills very constrained which yeah which do kind of restrict you into into these little boxes of what you can and can't do and conversely you've got other systems which go completely the other way with two pages full of skills like yeah. rollmaster for example <clears throat> where you know um athletics would be one skill and finding the easiest route to climb would be literally another skill that you yeah. would have to invest in this is just a really really elegant solution and I, I that's the that's one of the things that that really struck me about this system it's, it's certainly been good in being good in play uh players adapt to it pretty quickly they're like oh yeah I'm, I'm smart and charismatic so i can tell a good story kind of they, they seem to feel like it makes sense no it's really good and like just having a look the the actual presentation of the book is 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 beautiful all credit has to go to Latex for that. It's, it's another reason to to pick it. It does have a little bit of that learning curve, but I mean the output is just really nice. It is. It's just got a. It's got like um, like a very old school feel to it. And but because it, it does actually remind me of some of the Rollmaster books. But obviously, there's, there's a reasonable chance that somebody used LaTeX when composing them. I mean, we're talking seventies, seventies, eighties typography. <laughs> like, but this is a lot clearer to read because Rollmaster books you can only buy in scanned PDF. You can only get in scanned PDFs, so this is uh, obviously much, much clearer. But yeah, yeah um, but yeah, then the the other thing, and I, and I'd really like you to to go into it because I have read it and I think I understand it. But I think it's going to come. It's going to be far better coming from you. Um, story points. Oh yeah, this was one hundred percent reaction. Uh, I do so many projects in my life just out of hatred and vitriol. <laughs> um, I feel that. <laughs> so, so here's the problem. It's a very engineering approach. You know, I've got a, everything must be a solution to a problem, and then your your life is just a quagmire of problems. Um, <laughs> so I'm rocking up to this game. This is this is like eight years ago now. Rocking up to this Dungeons and Dragons game that my friends put on, or Pathfinder or something. Yeah, it was Pathfinder. And firstly, the GM's asked me to do a bit of a backstory. I'm like, I've, I'm a grown ass man. I have three jobs right now. I don't want to write a. And I'm not a writer, you know. I'm not going to necessarily put anything interesting out. So before I get to writing, I read about the world so that my th my my story makes sense. 
So there's one block of time to read about the world and fit it in, another block to write the thing, then I give it to him, he reads it, then he's got to incorporate this into the world that he's already written, more time spent. Uh, you know, this by this point, it's, it's insane, I think, already. But then when we get to the table, somebody's got a backstory with uh, hobbits that are basically a Catholic family, and he's named every single one of his extended family with the tree. <laughs> I was just like, oh, the poor GM. And when the GM finally killed off the entire family, the player was aghast, and I was like, yeah, too right. Too much. <laughs> Let all the hobbits die. And then we had another player whose background was she was an elvish princess and was therefore rich. So the, the entire notion of being an adventurer and collecting gold just went out the window. Like everyone else started with the normal gold pieces and she started with all the, the other gold pieces, which was initially a bit weird, but then I thought, no, it's, it's a fantasy game. You should, if that's the character you want, you should be able to do that. But then maybe somebody else should get something instead. So the solution to that was the background points. And they're not actually there to, they're, they're there to give a background, but they're mostly there so I don't have to read people's uh, poorly written prose. <laughs> so the, the system itself is you rock up and backstory is banned, do not read about the game, don't do any homework, it's a homework-free zone, and you just get five story points. It's five times where you can say, oh, I know a guy, or I know this language. So you don't have to read about which languages are in play in the world. The GM just says, and they sit in the back speaking their, their strange gnomish tongue, which you can't understand. And that lets one, any one of the players say, actually, I do know gnomish. So that prompts the question, okay, how do you know gnomish? Just justify this to us quickly. You don't even need a cutscene or anything. And they'll say, oh, I, I, I was in the circus and there was a gnome and he, he taught me gnomish. We were very close. So fast forward like uh you know 10 sessions later somebody spent all the background points and the next person they've got is probably related to the circus in some way and at this point you have a really deep built-in background but it never had to interrupt the flow of anything and we know that all those little interruptions to say oh i i did this we know that they're all interesting and useful and relevant because they always come as a reaction to the current scene i f i found that amazing i thought that was such a a really good idea because I, when I first started playing, um, I was that person who went, right, there you go. Five pages of backstory. This is my character. And the when I started, I know it was Scott, so nobody cares. <laughs> you know, Scott's going to listen to this and torture me for that, right? Um. So then when I started GMing, I was quite insistent, okay, you must have a backstory. But I found that that became a problem because a lot of the things in the backstory, they didn't mesh with, with the world in general. And a lot of times I had to disregard a lot of it. So then I kind of went, all right, let's just give me broad strokes and give me a motivation sort of thing. And now but this this idea is something i may even incorporate into into pathfinder games going forward i, th I think you could fairly easily just lift down that bit of the system for others uh i will i will mention though it has had only one small problem uh while it's been wonderful the stuff i said the 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 little problem is nobody uses the bloody system nobody spends points because it's not a renewable resource, so all the players hoard it like so many magic potions, going, nope, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it, I'm gonna save it for the thing. 
Yeah, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna save it for them to go nuclear at some point and just kind of use them all at the same time. Mm. So this is this is part of the whole uh, continuous development cycle thing, where the next edition is gonna. I think I'll just be giving out five flat XP for spending story points, and the idea is that you you start with this lump sum which is unspent because you have to uh, tell the story points in order to get the XP. And it also means that when new characters come in and they're quite fresh, they'll be able to ramp up pretty quickly because they, they still have their like introductory 25 XP points from spending five story points or whatever. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And it's I, I did find that a, a quite a unique, and I think you said it best, solution to a problem. That problem obviously being backstories and how annoying they can be work in general um it's not just the gm reading the the players prose often it's players reading the gm's prose like oh there's a secret library and there's three different cultures and you read this like oh what what this, this is <laughs> it's just a rip off of dark ages india what are you doing yeah and yeah i, f I found the system really interesting um Definitely, if, if anybody wants to find it, do you want to just tell people where they can find Bind? Uh, I suppose the easiest would be ttrpgs.com. That's my, my general blog, and there's a bit of the side that says Bind, and then it's got the PDFs to click on. Um, and it's, of course, it's on GitLab, so if anyone's, or and GitHub, if anyone's uh, got, if, if you know what the word Git means, that's not an insult, then you should go to <laughs> GitHub or GitLab. If you think it's just a British term for an insult, then go to ttrpgs.com. And the indexing is is linked. I've just discovered that now, and it's made me very, very excited. Oh, yeah, that was that was some of the nerdiest stuff I did on there. Uh, I, I, I hate, it was another bit of hatred. I hated the fact that White Wolf <laughs> games were, they were so good, they were so juicy, and then you try and like find oh where was that ability i forgot it was some kind of discipline thing there's nothing there's nothing there's no indexing there's a table of contents which literally lists the chapters and nothing else oh that that, that is my personal like pet peeve is any kind of like source book that doesn't have an index i hate it Drove i nuts. hate it so much yeah but so binder's all reactionary to that as well and oh, um it's amazing not only does it <laughs> i'm so happy right now <laughs> Oh, the the, index, the indexing is crazy. Uh, go to, if, if you've got the core book open, jump into Appendix B or C, I think it is. Um, the, there's actually an index specifically for spells, which all has a list and not only lists the page number, but it has one small summary of the spell for every single spell. So you can just jump in, it'll be damage equals this plus that, uh, page 56 or whatever. And I programmed, this took ages, I, I put in another function Sorry, so I'm getting seriously noting now. <laughs> no, 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 I love it. Keep going. <laughs> Got another one for the other books. So if you open an adventure book and there's some monster that's, and a note saying, oh, he's going to jump down the hill and ram into the players, that'll have a little footnote saying, see ramming in the core rules, page 78 or something. And that will be the precise page number because each one of the projects checks to see if the the other project is outside and if the other project is outside like if if you're downloading both then it will go and get the exact page number from the other project that's amazing that is phenomenal 
Oh my god. I'm I think, so happy right now. I, <laughs> I think Justin is actually swooning right now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm honestly like I mean John, you'll you'll vouch for this. I'm very, very rarely speechless, right? I've always got something to say. Yeah, he's I'm he just really so does. blown away right now. <laughs> um yeah, I've, I've said it's fun to finding people that quite like this stuff. I have felt like such a lonely nerd because it's been about, I think it's, uh, I pick it up now and again. Like I don't develop it full time, but it's been about seven years on and off of just sort of wandering in, trying to do another bit. And it's been, well, I'm not very good at marketing. I don't think anyone knows this thing exists, to be honest. <laughs> well, we we'll do our best to change that. Yeah, they this should. Thing sounds amazing. Yeah, they should. Um, um, yeah. And I, this, this is t John. Yeah. Put the top of the list. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, this. Yeah, mm. I'm I'm a very very happy nerd right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm adding it to the. Uh, yeah, it is. It is fascinating, and and again, it's a lot of what you're bringing to the table is this sort of weird but at the same time makes total sense marriage of rpg design with with programming with a programming mentality do you have a a, a big programming background or well literally, literally zero no i learned to program latex and then that's it uh I'm, I'm currently getting into a bit of python but that was that was afterwards like i'm not a programmer i i literally just picked this up and that is technically my first programming language well, you, that's actually awesome. You should, <laughs> you should be a programmer. You've, you've got that the sort of right mentality for mm. it. The, again, the, the sort of let's try do this as efficiently as possible. And you can you can kind of see that coming through in your system that I say your system, the system in the, the open source system, that it is mm -hmm. it is efficient. Everything about it. Um, it is efficient in what 125 pages you present a full blown RPG which could you know could easily rival any of the the big sort of triple A um, pr productions cheers oh and if you if you want even fewer pages uh, the entire book is littered with tiny little if statements of throughout like uh, examples and images and other things right actually it's all oh, there's a loud one yeah. uh the entire book is littered with these little conditions so that if you if you have some example text beside a rule it says you know uh projectiles use dexterity plus projectiles in order to fire for example if there were an elf with a bow blah 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 there'll be a little catch there that uh, can remove the example statement and if you compile it without the example statement, then instead of a big chunky A4 book with all the examples and pictures, you will get exactly the same book, the same rules, the same sentences, but minus the examples and the pictures, you'll get a little A5 book with uh, updated references and updated index, but it's, it's just the rules for the, the hardcore people who say like, I don't want any fluff. I, I just want to have a list of rules and nothing else. John, I'm in love. We've got problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's oh, i'm sorry I, yeah, yeah justin you need wow. to get yourself on mastodon and start following malin <laughs> yeah yeah i do malin Jesus. i'm i'm sorry is... for what's going to happen to you um yeah you, yeah there's there's going to be a there's going to be a lot 
um, once I get like my brain in order, um, because this sounds exactly like the kind of thing that I had in my head when I first got into like tabletop role playing games. Because um, John, I don't know if you remember, but like when we first started getting into it, I I immediately started looking at how I could like build software to do a lot of the stuff we were trying to do at the table, right? Yeah, I remember that. Um, and then I just kind of, I gave up on it because I just didn't, I, I don't even know why, but like you're doing it and it's awesome. And yeah. Yeah. Jump, jump on. <laughs> Absolutely. Jump on board. Stop me being uh stop me being a lonely nerd, jump in and change things or change things in your own copy. And there's, there's a very full load of issues on the issues boards. Um, oh, I should note that as well. If anyone does go and download it, and then you have gripes, you're like, eh, spelling's horrible, and I don't like the way this works, and blah, blah, blah. Gnomes are stupid. If anyone's got these complaints, then uh, the GitLab has an email address. So if you click on that, email the, the email address there, that automatically turns into an issue on the GitLab, and then that automatically makes a little bing in my computer, and I, I see that somebody's complaining about something. Um, so even if you're not programming, well, even if you don't want to write and if you don't want to compile the stuff yourself, if you just have notes like, oh, this, this thing looks horrible, um, send me your complaints, send me your, your irritating, uh, your irritations <laughs> and your bitches, <laughs> send me your bug reports. No, I think, I think it is fantastic. You, what you've got here is something special. Mm. Um, I need to read the overview. Um, cause it was, cause in the introduction, you've got an overview and, and the first sort of section is what your intentions for this system is. And I think it's a great mission statement because you've got bind was an attempt to fix D and D, which got out of control. Bind is yet another fantasy RPG about killing ogres for gold pieces. Bind mechanics force a fast real-world resolution to every encounter. Bind is an adult game, meaning we all have jobs and such, so the game should make as few demands on everyone's time as possible. And Bind kills all house rules by allowing people to integrate those rules into the core book and reprinting. That's right, Bind has no house rules and never will, because if you get so house you just rules... just make it a rule. Yep, that's, that's official rules. <laughs> Stick in your copy, type it out, and that is, and then just print off the PDF, go to your local friendly print shop, print out a copy, and those are the official rules of your table. That is phenomenal. Right <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think you have definitely classed up this joint. I think, uh, yeah, um, I think we're going to struggle next week. I, I definitely don't have the GitLab page open right now, and I'm going through <laughs> stuff. <laughs> That's definitely not what I'm doing. You've closed down all those Pornhub tabs and just opened a GitLab tab. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, dude, this this is amazing. Like, like, just so clever. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm really struggling to put into words, like how overly impressed I am right now. <laughs> So I um Marlin, the the open source aspect of um of bind was that because you are um in the 
sort of open source sphere? Because you did mention Bash earlier. Um, yeah, I, I, I am now. I mean, I think I might sound like an old school person, but I actually came to this pretty, pretty late in life. Um, so I'd already made the RPG. And I looked around and I could see that lots of people made independent RPGs, but I just, I didn't like those rules. I wanted to make my own. And then it was later in life that I just, um, well, I want, I really wanted to move to Serbia from Scotland. Um, so like I, I learned how to use computers from that. I had learned a bit before that, like when I was writing the book, my computer broke down mm. and I needed like a properly functioning computer because, um, like even before LaTeX, when you when you're trying to make these things with all these images, suddenly it takes up a ton of resources. Like if you don't have enough RAM and whatnot, the the entire thing just crashes. It's really slow to just skip through pages when you got too many references. So I was forced to learn computing simply to write this book. Uh, like a friend gave me an old shopping. She heard I had problems and gave me an old shopping bag full of random PC parts. Like there's a motherboard <laughs> in there and a couple of sticks of RAM. She's like. Well, if you can figure out how to put it together, then I'm pretty sure there's a complete computer in there just about. <laughs> so <laughs> with zero computing knowledge, I just went back and, and thought, oh, this will be like Lego. It was not like Lego. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, but I got well, there in the end. Well, Justin and I both kind of come from um, com computing backgrounds. Mm. And I, at one point, I was quite heavily invested in, in the open source community. I was a... Uh, a user of multiple GNU Linux systems and, and all that. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, for some reason, it never stuck with me. Um, but having, like, getting to know you and um, kind of learning about Bind and having these conversations with you has just been a massive trip down memory lane for me. To the point where I've yeah, got I'm... a laptop that I'm looking at kind of going, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It's certainly it's certainly a bit easier to put together on Linux. Like I really wanted this to be open and to make sure I could do it on Windows. Uh, luckily, somebody who's on Windows, some kind soul, came along and set it up on Windows and then put the instructions in the wiki. So I know it's possible, even though I like if the wiki instructions to you don't make any sense to you, then like I don't know how to help. <laughs> um, but if you want to do it on your computer, the setup is super easy on Linux. You just say you know, package manager, whatever it is, uh, for, for those not in the know, Linux has massive app stores. Like there's, there's just everything plus dictionaries plus fonts in there. So you just say, I want the following things. There's three things you install, then you type in make and it makes everything. I, I, I'm, I'm just gonna have to quickly divert this conversation because I've just seen something on the Git that I'm very annoyed about because I was literally mm. writing this myself about a week ago and you've already done it. What, what, uh, what was it? The, dun what was the dungeon generator. <laughs> Shit! Yes, you did tell me. I you was were... literally writing one of these the other day, and you've already done it. Oh, I'm so annoyed at myself. <laughs> oh, join me. I'm, I'm one of the hardest parts. I kind of stopped because it was. Um, I, I've got a fiddly thing, and I don't know how to solve it. I didn't like any of the other dungeon generators because they kept spilling out these nice maps and then you'd read the contents and it would be like, oh, room 3A, there's a goblin and five yeah. gold pieces. I'm like, why? What, what? What's his name? What is he doing there? Why is he is he taking a poop? Is he sitting in meditation? Why is there a goblin in there? Like, yeah. What is happening with this thing? 
Yeah, that, that that's literally the same problem I had with them, right? Is you, you would and even like some of these dungeons that you'd find like, oh yeah, here's a list of like dungeon ideas that you could use. Like they were all just nonsensical. Mm, it's absolute um, nonsense to tie way down. So th yeah. there's a different tactic here. The idea is that the computer generates uh, a series of rooms, which is either a mine or a cave. So it's either naturally flowing water and erosion or mm -hmm. uh, somebody's chasing gold or whatever. It won't make a huge amount of difference, which is. But then after this thing, a civilization moves in. It could be gnomes, it could be dwarves, it could be elves. And then you, you lay out each room. And if it's a center room, then it can be a corridor. And if it's off to the side, it might be a kitchen or a feasting hall or a living space or a library, something like this. So you map out the world's most useless dungeon because it's just a bunch of people living there. And the third stage, it goes through I mean, every room I in the dungeon do... and kills the elves, replacing them with a necromancer or the goblins or whatever the bad guys are. And when you, you look through the entire yeah. thing, you've got you know, the, the coherent room like with bridges and libraries and why it's all there. That's so cool. That does make sense. I mean, that I like that idea because, yeah, I, I do agree that a lot of the dungeon generators, obviously I'm not going to mention any of them. You, you build them and it just, it does seem very random. I know some of them you can kind of tailor it slightly to, you know, a type of creature or a, a type of adventure, etc., etc. But it does kind of feel somewhat impersonal. And, mm. and and don't get me wrong, sometimes when I design my own dungeons, it becomes impersonal because I'll put a creature in there just because, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a bad mood that day and I want the players to suffer a tiny bit. But there is at least a reason for it as opposed to I just hit a random button. Yeah, and it can really mess with the ecology, if that's not too fancy a word. Mm. Like, it's it's a bit weird when you've got the massive uh, everything-eating green slime, and behind them, a whole bunch of goblins. Like, what's what's happening there? Are the goblins about to be eaten? I think they're about to be eaten. Why is the green slime even going for adventurers? It's got goblins there. What do the goblins think they're going to do? Shouldn't they be, like, if they're trapped, shouldn't they be dead five minutes after the, the adventurers enter the dungeon? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah, it does. A lot of times it does feel, especially dungeons, they do feel very kind of video gamey. Um, where this creature is in this room. This creature has probably been in this room for 500 years for no yeah. fucking reason whatsoever. And it's a weird one because I kind of like my dungeons to be a bit more dynamic. So if the players go to a specific room and there's a creature in there that just happens to knock them around a bit too much, when they leave to regroup and come back, that creature may not be there. Maybe something else. Maybe nothing hmm. at all. But there is going to be an active evolution. And when you go to these these dungeon generators and just click on generate, it kind of takes a lot of that away from from the flow of the game. It just doesn't feel natural. Um, I think it depends on how you use the tool, though, right? So if you, in the interest of, you know, just trying to save time when you're prepping, right? So... You know, like like we, we you know was mentioned earlier, a lot of us are adults. We have you know jobs and lives and other things to be getting on with. Um, sitting down and you know like planning out an entire dungeon can be very time consuming if you if 
you really get into it. But having something like, you know, like this, where you can click a button and it generates not only, you know, a dungeon layout, but, you know, a history of it and, and all of that as well, it still gives you the option to be dynamic later on, right? Because it just means that you've now got that layout that you could say, okay, I've got the floor plan, I've got, you know, some creatures that are in there because of the history of it and stuff. But that doesn't necessarily mean that when they get there, they see a you know a goblin in the first room. Go, oh, we yeah, better back, go back to town and get supplies. And then when they come back, well, that goblin saw them as well, right? right. <laughs> hmm. So certainly, if it's if it's adjustable, I mean, this comes back to the question of uh, source files versus the output. Like, if the output is just bang, there's a PDF, and you got to scribble notes with a pencil over the the margins, then it's a bit unsatisfying. But if you get some some basics like a big list of rooms. Oh, that's what I should do next for the dungeon generator. Make it out, make it out, put markdown. Like a really, like a Reddit comment, as if the entire dungeon were a big Reddit comment. That would be easy. Yeah. See, you guys mm. are now talking about things that are going out way out of my expertise. <laughs> I mean, I understand markdown because I use Obsidian, and Obsidian is a fantastic tool. Um, but yeah, I may have to look into this LaTeX malarkey. Is it's uh it's quite good. Most importantly, it can take templates. So, um, if you've got like five books, like there's there's a whole there's a few different books for bind, and you just stick in that one line saying use this template, and then the template, and they all look exactly the same. That makes things a lot easier. Yeah, in Obsidian, there there is um we use templates as well. Um, Obsidian, if you haven't heard of it, it is. Essentially, it's a note-taking program, but it has a very strong community of tabletop role players, and it's modular, so anybody can develop a plugin for it. So you've got all these TTRPG players who have created these plugins, and it has become my go-to uh, campaign manager, and that has that facility as well where... I'll do one page of something, let's say an NPC. You know, I'll, I'll create an NPC, and but then I will copy that and have it as a template. So then when the next time I create a file, all I have to do is open the file and it automatically populates a lot of the grunt work. Mm, this looks really good. And if it's, it looks like it's, yeah, it's markdown and text underneath. So you could share it with other people quite easily, mm -hmm. I take it, and, and let them modify it. So... Here's the real question then. How good would it be to find a way to implement an open source system into an open source project like management thing like that, right? That's surely got to be something along the next steps. <laughs> well, for like for like a campaign management. I mean, that yeah. that's that's part of the thing as well. Um, like the campaign books already exist i have to yeah. say they could maybe be a little bit easier it would be i have been tempted on occasion to try and rewrite the thing in like markdown and then have pandoc translate it to latic and then apply the template and then i just think oh this is too much work i can't <laughs> do it just i couldn't do that just so i can make sure that other people can contribute when there's especially when there's zero contributors so far basically or like one or two well, there was, um, and this is going off to what Justin said, um, back in the days of Realmworks, which is, you know, a lot of the Realmworks people migrated to Obsidian. Um, but back in the Realmworks days, there was a realm which was public access. Mm 
So people would go in and just kind of go, right, in this part of the world, I've created this tribe, for example. Hmm. And it was system agnostic, and that was that was brilliant as well. That that would be wonderful. And yeah, the, the original version of Bind had quite a lot of the world mapped out. I mean, actually, it still does. And I'm starting to think it's got too much of the world mapped out. I don't like it. Uh, I'm thinking for the next edition of just being quiet about everything except like three inches in front of the player's noses and just giving people a way to generate the next town over and then leave the rest out. And if you need a bigger campaign, the answer will just be do it yourself and maybe give me a shout. See if I want to pull the same thing in. Well, I mean, you could always just use the the age-old uh, World of Warcraft expansion logic of, oh, no, actually, there's another continent over there. Your game is on that continent, and you can just generate that as you want. Yeah, there's, there's the... literally another con continent over to the west, which I just didn't know. So, yeah, yeah, there you go. Problem solved. They're, they're over <laughs> in the west continent. Job done. Oh, wait, that one's been fully mapped down now? Oh, you'll never guess what. We found another continent to the north. Ah, it's funny, that. And you can just keep making continents. Seven, 75 continents later, you've just got someone going, how big is this fucking planet? Yes. <laughs> it, it's a non-Euclidean planet. <laughs> going north, east, south, west will not necessarily get you back to the same continent. Holy, holy shit, there's a campaign idea. I was, I was literally about to say, that sounds like a really fun dungeon idea. <laughs> oh, oh, I saw one. There's, there's one already made. It was a Boy. bizarre thing. Yeah, yeah, if you look in uh, Dungeon Magazine issue, oh, I wish I could remember. Join Mastodon. I posted it up on Mastodon when I found it excitedly. There's a non-Euclidean There's a non-Euclidean uh, dungeon, and it's got like a map which shows only an abstraction where players are going and a couple of pictures with, which are kind of weird because it's like a dungeon, but of course non-Euclidean. And you've got all these uh, it, it had something like five different pictures of the same room from different perspectives, all of them trying to explain to the GM how this thing works. Like the actual dungeon <laughs> is very small. There's not much to the map. It's up, yeah. down, left and right a bit. But most of the adventurers just taken up trying to explain to the GM, you know, here's how <laughs> it goes. That's what happens if you roll a marble downhill. Uh, there's a question of what downhill means there. This is how light works in non-Euclidean space. I'm just, it's like I, I think oh, a physicist yeah. must have written into Dungeon Magazine excitedly, and they just said, well, "I don't know what this guy's talking about, but it sounds nice, so we'll publish it." Like you've got to wonder if that was like some physics student sitting in a like lecture hall somewhere and literally had that same concept of, "Oh my god, what if Dungeon?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I could ever GM for it because I I don't really know maths that well, but it does sound so exciting. Like, yeah, what what would a what would a fire do? What would a torch do in non-Euclidean space? Well, how would, how does heat work? What about shooting an arrow? Right. What happens to the trajectory of the arrow? And if there's wind in there, is that is it going to go really weird? Because you can't go sideways in the normal way. You have yeah. to go like non-Euclidean like, yeah. sideways. I'm literally, while you guys are talking, I'm scrolling through Malin's Mastodon feed right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find this fucking thing. <laughs> it's in there oh somewhere. my god! Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm so I'm so happy today. This is the <laughs> happiest I've been in a very long time. <laughs> Are you trying to say I don't make you happy? I've got yes, to bring, that's exactly I've got to, what I'm saying. I'm gonna bring in a third person just to make you happy. We're gonna spice things up, John. 
Fucking <laughs> <laughs> <Again> style. <laughs> Oh, nag, no. nag, nag. That's all I fucking got. <laughs> no, honestly, this project sounds so awesome. And I am going to absolutely be making some contributions in the future. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Um, yeah, it'd be, it would be wonderful to get somebody else doing uh, some of the work, even if it's just raising issues, even if somebody just goes onto the board and goes, oh, this thing about this thing's rubbish. So it's, it's all useful. I will be fixing things. So the question, <laughs> so the main question is, when the fuck are we going to play this? Now, let's get our dice. <laughs> if, on it, if I did not have a game tonight, I'd be definitely very inclined yeah, to do I've, so. I've got Sea of Thieves to play later as well, so I um, can't. But yeah, we definitely need to play that. And Malin, mm. it would be glorious if you were able to either join us or perhaps even GM for us at some yes. point. Oh my god, yes, that'd be amazing. I'd be absolutely delighted. I, I have to say, like, um, so being a player sounds quite tantalizing, almost almost surreal. Like a player in your own game after after you design the thing. Of course, there's quite a lot to read. So if I were doing the GM thing, like that's fine too. No, I mean I'm happy to GM it. I just may need you to correct me on you know everything <laughs> i feel like there's going to be a lot of rulings from that game going correct me if i'm wrong but <laughs> oh, no, i'll try not to I, nobody likes a backseat gm it's the worst i mean as far I mean, as i'm concerned I, I think once, once you got it it's yours like i think when when the backseat gm wrote it it's okay <laughs> i mean that that, that's kind of the thing, you know. It, it's not a case of just having somebody on your table kind of going, well, actually, it's like, yeah, the, the dude who actually wrote this thing is telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, but I it was, might be wrong. <laughs> no, no, but it, it would take away the most interesting information, which is uh, after you make something, if you hand it to somebody, it's, it's really fascinating to see how that plays out. What do they do with this toy? How do they use it? But if you come in and say, like, no, no, this it was, it was meant yeah, to be used this way. Yeah then it's a whole different thing. And you still don't know how, you have no evidence about how people just use it organically. All right, I will, I will go over this book and we will get a table together. Plus that being said, you know, with the whole concept of open source, if you decide that's the rule, John, that's the rule. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's literally the concept. <laughs> are you 100% are you sure you want to give me that power? So maybe okay. I'll GM. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, power corrupts, <laughs> and it will corrupt the shit out of me. If you if you ever want to run a little one shot or something, there's a repository specifically for one shots, where you know players wake up, they were a whole bunch of farmers or whatever, there's some pre-generated characters, so you don't have to spend time making it, and it's a little one shot. But, of course, as with all things in Bind, there's a little extra bit with some if statements. So if, if when you download it, you type in make one shot, you'll get the one shot. But if you just type in make normally, you get a second level. So when players break out from the goblin warrens and see freedom, they don't actually see freedom. There's a second level to the dungeon. Ah, oh, that's so cool. I, I can hear Justin's erection right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude! Like, oh, you don't you don't even understand. Like, <laughs> um, this yeah, this kind of thing has been on my 
this would be really cool if somebody did this list since I first got into this hobby. It is, it is genuinely fascinating, and I, I am definitely up for running that. Malin, it, we would be honoured if you were mm. to join us. Absolutely. I would, I would love nothing more. It would, it would be wonderful to jump into my, my own system. I spent so long designing this world. I should see it at least <laughs> sometime. So with that said, um, should we take a seat on the couch? Yes. Yeah? So every week we ask some of our listeners to send in questions and it would be great if you were to help us answer them sounds good again you could probably answer in a far more intellectual way than <laughs> we ever could okay so i think um we've got a, an interesting situation here don't we we Justin? do we do where the same person has sent us questions individually. Yes. Um, so and in true us fashion, I don't know. You might have sent us both the same question. <laughs> well, I've got a question, and I think this one is one hundred percent directed at me. Um, <laughs> so I'll I'll read this first, and you know we'll see we'll see where it takes us. So it's hi John. See, it is me. Mm -hmm. Yes. Society games are around four to five hours each, and a character will gain a level every three games, so between about 12 to 15 hours. Do you think it's reasonable to level at this pace in an adventure path? And that question is from Sci-Fi, from a speck of dust in the western spiral arm of the Andromeda Galaxy. <laughs> so for those of for those of you out there who don't quite understand what this gentleman's referring to, um, Pathfinder Society are a series of one-shots where you have a character and you develop the character over the course of these one-shots. And each game is around four to five hours and every three games you level up. Adventure Paths, on the other hand, are three to six books, each book being about 64 pages. And running a an Adventure Path as a uh what's the word i'm looking for as a society game you kind of level up each book and to, the quick answer to the question is no you you wouldn't level up a character at the same pace um just because in an adventure path there's a lot more involved where in society games they're very much to the point so you walk in you introduce your characters you're given a quest you complete the quest whereas an adventure path is a there's a lot more nuance to it you get to play with your characters a bit more mm. yeah i mean i i definitely agree that like adventure path. i mean i've not done much society but i know adventure paths tend to be a bit more long form mm. Um, whereas the society stuff is more like a, a bit like more like mission based, right? So like taking a note off of a notice board and going doing that, coming back, getting your reward. Yeah, essentially that's that's kind of how it's set up. Malin, you did say that you played Pathfinder. Do, do you have any experience in society play? No, none at all. So I, I'm a little confused about the setup. Is this like uh, you go to a place and then find a different GM each week, or 
Yeah, it's it's essentially organized play. So you build a character and character creation is there are very strict parameters as to what sort of things your character can take, what items your character can buy just in order to kind of maintain a balance. So oh, theoretically, yeah. I can take my level five, I think he is now, gunslinger bard to any Pathfinder society table playing within that level range. Right, because if you found out that the other GM has given your this person three rings of wishes and they rock up at your game thinking that they're going to use those three rings of wishes <laughs> to do stuff, you'd, you'd hunt down the other GM and strangle them. Yeah, yeah. so it kind of avoids that. You can, I think in second edition, you can only buy common magical items of your level or lower. So even if you were to find something exceptional during an adventure, you don't get to keep it on your character sheet. Mm. So does, would that entail... That that harkens back to Gary Gygax's idea of you kind of have a meaningful campaign without keeping accurate uh, track of time. Because in theory, real-world time would have to pass in-game at roughly the same speed, so that if people are swapping tables, they won't accidentally go back in time three months. Yeah, there is a bit of a suspension of disbelief, because um, each season of the Pathfinder Society, there is a an ongoing thread. So sometimes you'll play a game which is at the end of said thread, but then the next game you play just happens to be one that's at the beginning. So there is a lot of disconnect in that respect. Mm. It sounds like it would be better to go with Gygax's original rule. I've picked it up, and I have to say it's um, it's been fantastic. Because uh, when players come along, I've got a whole bunch of expats, you know, people who are from other countries here in Serbia, mm. they rotate around. So I can't guarantee the same the same people at the table all the time. And what we do is just say, real world time is game time, and every week has to every adventure has to start and end somewhere safely. Then people can just swap in as they like. Yeah, I did see someone, I don't know where I saw that um, rule brought up, and I thought it was I thought it was very interesting. Questing Beast, probably. Ben uh, something or other has been talking about it, or at least that's where I saw it, and I think it's got a pretty big video channel. Uh, possibly. I, I don't know. I just remember seeing it and just kind of going, that's like a very interesting sort of proposition, which mm. is it's one of those things that's kind of been mostly forgotten about these days mm. it also goes really well with slow leveling because at least i feel like players are a bit more accepting of slow leveling when there's real world time passing and they know there is so when they've they've still got this additional skill and it's still not quite as big as they want it because they want to be like a master craftsman or something and then you remind them this has literally been three months yeah like, Nobody becomes a master craftsman in three months. See, it's a lot easier to accept at that point. Well, yeah. I do kind of like that point because that is something that has sometimes bugged me with like playing, you know, a campaign where you're like, oh yeah, you've been traveling for three weeks to get to this town, but like real world, it's been like five seconds. Um, because it was just you know you got on a boat and you traveled for three weeks on the boat and nothing happened, right? Um, so you're like, well, in those three weeks, why couldn't I have done? 
that. Oh, you see, but I, I allow that in my games. Yeah, but that's because you're a good DM. I mean, because... Most um, others don't. Because, you know... <laughs> in my experience. Because it was basically... Um, they were traveling from point A to point B. It was going to take a couple of weeks on a boat. Mm. I did a couple of encounters just to kind of spice up the session. But then yeah. after that, it was like, okay, so the next two weeks pass, um, you know, completely... Um, without any sort of events. Is there any sort of downtime activity that people would have liked to have done? And some people retrained, other people crafted. Yeah. And we just kind of accounted for that sort of passage of time as if it were a a montage. Training montage. Training montage. (laughs) Yeah, see, because that's that's the kind of thing that I've always quite liked is like actually filling downtime with stuff because i've played in a lot of games where they don't and it's like yeah, yeah like a week goes by it's like okay what was I just yeah i always feel the need to <laughs> i always feel the need to to fill in with something like even yeah. if the players are traveling for two days i'll roll in the encounter chart and there's nothing yeah. um and possible and thank god i have to say if you have like every single day an encounter is just the worst yeah. But it feels a bit too cheap. I do feel the need to mention something. Like sometimes yeah. they just yeah, blunt, they end up blurting out, and there's houses and villages. And mm. obviously, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to fill this with. But at least something is there. Like there's some basic substance. So and I hope I answered Sci Fi's question. So the short answer for me would be no, it's <laughs> not reasonable. I, I don't think there should be that much difference, but. Where in Adventure Path, you do have time to, to get to know your character a lot more. Whereas in the society games, it's literally you pick up your character sheet when you're about to play and you put it away after the game. As soon as you finish, yeah. Yeah, so I think given that, maybe every four to five sessions, you might want to be leveling up. All right, so Justin, do you want to... So yeah, so I, I also got a question from the same individual. Uh, but when he sent me his question, he'd, he'd moved. He was not in the same position. Uh, because when he sent me a question, he was from the untouched corner of King Midas's bathtub. So he gets about a bit. He does. He does indeed. Um, but the question I've got is um, that he's been looking at the Kickstarter for uh, what's old as new Starbox, and he was wondering if we had any thoughts on the system. Um, what Starterbox, sorry? What's old as new? I have never fucking heard of that. Me neither. But I had a quick I had a quick look on the Kickstarter. And it it's it's had a it's done very well. Um so their goal was only like six and a half thousand and it's got twenty six thousand, so they've done very well. <laughs> um But it was first released back in twenty sixteen. Uh and it is a game that's been designed for fantasy, modern and sci fi adventuring. So it has a, basically, it's got a different, like, core book for new stuff, old stuff, and, like, now, right? So they, they rewrite the book each time for the different settings? Uh, no, so it all comes in this in the start book. You get, there was three books originally, but now it's all kind of in this one book, it seems. Um, so you get a 68-page rule book, which includes the B-theory, which is actually a very very condensed book 
And then you've got three 20 page adventures. So one's fantasy, which is old, one's modern, which is now, and then one's sci-fi, which is new. So those three books are adventures in those settings. But the, the core rules across the three are the same. Okay. Um, on the Kickstarter right now, looks good. It does look good. Um, <laughs> although this is just the art course, no idea if the system's any good, maybe it's pile of nonsense. Exactly. So, uh, see, if they'd, if they'd only used some if statements, they could have had one core rule book that <laughs> outputs an old form. And then... You tell them, <laughs> If only. Um, but looking at it, it does look pretty decent. I, I like the fact that it's got the, the flexibility for the d three different settings, right? So you can, just with one set of rules, you can look at three different worlds, which is quite nice. I quite like that. Um, without having to go out and spend like a fortune on different books or or anything like that, uh, it comes with a bunch of pre-gen characters, eighteen to be precise, and a bunch of VTT assets. VTT asset park. Okay, I'm. I mean, I'm just trying to find any information on the actual system. It looks like a two D six. Yeah, so down down the bottom, well, no, it uses a flexible D6 dice pool system. Okay. So I don't think it's always 2D6. I think it's... Well, like a rubbly on one made out of rubber. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. It's a bendy D6. <laughs> um, and the character creation is life path. So there's a chance your character dies on at level one. That's it. That, that, that traveler springs to mind. Those are my favorite. That just springs to mind. <laughs> yeah, e excellent. We want, yeah, yeah, we, we want it to be like... so lethal you die in character creation. That's exactly why I want to have a game. <laughs> Look, I, to, I be, did have... to be fair, I... I did play Traveler once and my character ended up being a millionaire. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I rolled well. <laughs> Must be nice. nice. <laughs> oh, if you're if you're a random random uh, idea sprung to mind, this is the the great idea which was abandoned because I I never had the the time or ability to do it. But if you want a real challenge, I always thought it'd be fun to have uh, the character creation as like a choose your own adventure, but the choose your own adventure would be at the top of the page or the bottom, like a footnote. And the idea is that you read the thing and it says turn to page fifty six to do this or that, and you just flip back and forth throughout the book, so you gain a, a rough overview of the book while making the character. Yeah, That's not, genius. I'm definitely not writing that down right now. <laughs> as, as the pen clicks. I actually <laughs> physically heard that pen clicking. Right. And John, you know how little I write stuff down. All right. This, this is I'm, a big deal. Yeah, I'm surprised you're using pens now, dude. Look, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was horrible. That was horrible of me. I feel bad. I've got my reasons. <laughs> no, it's definitely, definitely interesting. Um, this is a nice book. Proper, proper formatting and seal fonts. Was it Onkiel? I never know. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think sci-fi would be would be quite good to back this. Mm, absolutely, it, it definitely looks like a, a very interesting system, um, and I, I think it's one that I, I would actually consider backing myself. Hmm. Um, so just looking down at the bottom as well, the books sell individually as well. Um, 
So you can you can buy just the adventures if you wanted. So if you just wanted the core rulebook and one of the adventures, you could. Or you can get the whole lot through through backing it here, which is always good. Yeah, I, I definitely like it. Um, Sci-Fi, if you do end up buying this, I expect you to run it for us at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, I quite like this bit on the website where the, the question is, is this a universal system? And I was expecting them to say yes, but they're like, no, it is not. It does <laughs> this Tolkien-esque fantasy. It does not modern, but 80s action, very specific. And Trekkian to Warsian range. What is Warsian? Wars, Warsian. Trekkian to Warsian sci-fi. Trekkian must mean uh, Star, Star Trek. Trek. Yeah. Okay, Warsian. so that's all they're being... They're, they're well, unless that, that's particular. like Star Wars, was like Warsian. Oh yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, trekking, tre yeah. Trekking, ah, Star yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. That makes sense. You got it. Um, I'm a genius. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so they've been quite precise about um, what they're doing. I probably speaks quite well of the system. Yeah, I mean, I because I I'm a big fan of the cipher system, which is a universal um, system, and don't get me wrong, it is quite good, but I've always got that sort of, but what if I wanted to do this? Would the system be able to kind of keep up with me? Whereas this, they've kind of gone, these are the three options we're giving you. Mm. And I kind of, those three options should be enough for most players. Absolutely, yeah. To I be mean, honest. Yeah, well, you've got, you've got your sci-fi, you've got your modern day-ish 80s close enough some of us were born then um <laughs> and then yeah like yeah i think i think it's definitely something that even i would consider um putting money into and i don't do that very often i hate spending money unless it's on stupid stuff that i will never ever, ever use yeah fair play no i like it mm, absolutely all right, so we do have one more question. Uh -huh. As soon as I find it. <laughs> the thing is, I've got to go to job form because if not, I don't get the name. And then he, he complains. <laughs> All right. Okay, so this next question is from Couch, who's way down deep in the middle of the Congo where a hippo took an apricot, a guava, and a mango. <laughs> he's getting creative. With he's getting, I think he's getting a little bit bored at work. I might have to go and start <laughs> ordering more food. All right, so is there ever a point where you say no during a campaign? When the players have gone too far and you either, st and either stop the flow to put the ducks in a row or when a player needs to stop and a conversation needs to be had. Basically, where is the line? So I was actually discussing something along this, these lines um, before we started recording. Um, the first time I ever DM'd, um, it was uh, a Dragon Age campaign. And I don't know Dragon Age, right? Um, and one of the players in, in the group knows the Dragon Age world inside out, like the back of their hand, but not the tabletop role-playing game, but the actual world environment. Um, and within the first five seconds of the campaign starting, they went completely off the rails of the, the adventure that we were following in the back of the book. Um, so that's where I had to be like, 
no. <laughs> because I don't know anything that's going on and I don't know enough about this world to bullshit to you. <laughs> so that's where I had to say no one time. Yeah, the question seems a bit a bit too open. I mean, that's a good example with like Lauren being kind to new GMs, mm. but then it sounded like they were asking about the 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 so-called problem player yeah. jumping up and saying, "I'm going to use the knife and tear out the goblin's eyes and ask him whatnot." And yeah, no, I've not really had a situation like that at the table uh, myself because I guess like most of the people that I play with, because I play in person like exclusively almost everyone I play with is in the same sort of friend group. So we kind of all know where each other's limits are. Um, so I've never really had a, a moment where I've had to be like, we might be uh, touching on some dicey stuff here, guys. So yeah, I think I do, I do feel like that's very much a sort of online, mm. oh, too much on Reddit problem. People keep mentioning these horror stories, like, yeah. like you know, my my player just jumped up and pooped in the desk. Is this no? Is it all right? And there's three thousand comments being like, no, what the hell? No, what you is should going talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> Get them out of the game. Get them out of your house for God's sake. Possibly call the police. <laughs> and I, um, I'd say no quite frequently. Um, to be fair, but then again, I do play almost exclusively online. Um, so it is, there is an added layer of having to mediate. So, you know, it can be, it can be silly little things where it's like, okay, we need to get this back on track where you just kind of break the flow of the game for a moment and just kind of go, right, no guys, we need to focus. We need to you know, stop messing around for a bit and let's get this done sort of thing. Um, and I think doing that has avoided the situation of completely stopping. Mm. You know, I think having being like a constant moderating presence stops from from things getting to a point where it's like, Right, we have to talk about this, or this cannot continue. Yeah, I, mean, I, th I think actually, as a player, I've probably been in that situation where I've had DMs, and I, I, I know that you know this for a fact, John, because you've had to do it when I was a player. Um, where we've had like we, we've kind of got too involved in like our own conversations. Um, and we need to maybe be brought back to the game. I've had a few instances where, as a player, that's happened. Um, but I've never had it when I was DMing. And I do believe that, that you guys are correct, that it's something that kind of surfaces more hmm. um, online than in person. Yeah. Because in person, you've always got the, the, the nonverbal communication aspect. Yeah, I think as well mm. that there's there's just a little bit more accountability in person as well, right? Because if if I say something online and you get horrifically offended, I just go all right and disconnect from the call, <laughs> you know. Um, whereas in person, if I say something and you're horrifically offended, it could escalate. Yeah. Um, and I can't exactly just go <laughs> no and walk away because then it will escalate. Um, <laughs> So I think yeah, that, that maybe I, plays I, an element as well. I think it's also a lot to do with what you were saying earlier about 
your group like people yeah. will tend to do the same things uh, or or tend to have the same rough boundaries so even yeah. if not everyone's going for the goblin's ice the fact that one person is kind of indicates that everyone's okay with this in the abstract yeah uh, and the, and it's a lot easier for them to be like, dude, would you stop that? Because presumably this isn't the first time that person's done that. Yeah, I think I'm fortunate enough that the table that I play with a lot of times is kind of self-regulating. So um, it... I, I know particular rat folk that would beg to differ. <laughs> well, that serves him right for showing up to one adventure and then just staying at the bar going, you know what? No, fuck you guys. I mean, entirely valid. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, I don't believe that there, there has to be a line per se. Mm. I think it's an ongoing, um, it's an ongoing aspect of being a GM. I think as well, it, it, it's not even just that. It, it's it's one of those as well. Well, it, it it's a moving target in all situations, because it's the same as like when you're out for the night, right? Where do you draw the line having a conversation with the group of people that you've met at the pub? It's the same. You, you just kind of, kind of, you feel it out. It's social cues, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and on the other side with, I mean, we're giving examples of awful players. Yeah. Uh, this, this was not an awful GM. But I was I was once in a game this many years ago when I was in Scotland where somebody was a, like really reticent to go off the the pre-established written material and he wanted to say come on guys get back on uh, and I and everyone else were just like no no we're not doing that because he he'd got this tiny little side mission thing not an adventure just basically a scene where uh, there's a couple of evil demons trapped in the pot you need to kill them so the idea is you bash open the pot and there's like an on-the-spot combat encounter. So what I said is, can I find a dried-out well or some other very deep hole? And I confirmed these little demons don't have any wings. So then I went, okay, so we'll just drop it down the hole. The pot smashes, <laughs> out they come. And now I've got an ability which does, you know, infinite uses 1d4 damage to creatures of evil alignment only. It's the world's <laughs> worst ability. It's pointless. But then I just said, I'm just going to stand at the top for like three hours. You were shooting hours. demons in a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> and the gm's like what no you've just cheated the encounter that's just totally you can't do that and i was like yes i can oh do, do you know what that reminds me of as well john that story what? that scott told us of one of his players uh back in south africa you know when scott had this huge encounter plan for when they opened the door um and it was like it, it all triggered off of the guy opening this door and he opened the door saw this huge demon like coming through a portal which went yeah, I closed the door and just walked away. <laughs> and, and like Scott was just like, uh, all right, uh, I guess I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> I mean, that's the sort of shit that has to be rewarded. In oh, some absolutely, way, man. Absolutely. No, you um, just kind of, you just sat there in front of all your notes and just go, well, fuck. Well, I mean, and, and I know this is something that we don't talk an awful lot about uh, because neither of us really watch it, but there was a, a great example of that on Critical Role um, where Matt Mercer had planned out this entire, like, ship-to-ship -ship combat. He'd come up with, like, ship mechanics for like, how they sail and fight and all this sort of thing. Um, and then, like, as the enemy ship got closer, they just, like, I think 
they cast like control water or something and they just created a huge wave and just like shipwrecked the other ship on the shore and he was like well that's uh like six months of prep down the drain cheers for that guys <laughs> yeah i mean it's happened to me where i've had uh, an entire city built up and an adventure in the city and they just fucking walked straight past it <laughs> so, so are you guys stopping it no, no. Uh, uh well fuck but but there's so, a really nice tavern like <laughs> So I just basically moved the city to another place. Like, oh look! Oh look, there's that same city. <laughs> no, it was that. No, I basically <laughs> filed off the serial number. Did I say Glasgow? I meant Lasco. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's yeah, it's Glasgow. It's nothing to do with Glasgow. It's no, a completely, completely different. different. Yeah, it looks pretty much the same. Nope. Nope, different. <laughs> how, do, how do they know? You never went in. Can't possibly look the same. That there gate looks go. the same. They bought it from the same gate company. <laughs> Gates are us. They're all over the place. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's everything. I think that's about all we've got time for today. Mm-hmm. Um, Mime, would you like to just tell the listeners where they can find you and where they can kind of um learn more about bind and learn more about the sort of fantastic stuff you do for just getting a copy of the game there's oh i forgot to mention itch uh there's a bindrpg.itch.io uh, if you're fond of itch.io and there's ttrpgs.com if you want a copy of bind or very long rants with lots of spreadsheets and maths and nonsense uh, and if you know what Git means in the in the software sense, then head along to gitlab.com slash bindrpg or, or just Google it. I, I think I'm somewhere in the, the uh, Google rankings. Came up at like number one. <laughs> Good stuff. I think I'm in there with uh, with RPG. I probably won't be there with just bind. I think that you'll get some networking settings or something. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, oh, and of course... And of course, Malin at uh, Dice.Camp. And in general, if you're on Mastodon, say hello. And and be on Mastodon, because it's a whole lot nicer and more friendly than the, the weird things that people are doing with the algorithms over on threads and, <laughs> uh, and Twitter. I could not agree more. <laughs> I am so happy I found Mastodon. Um, so Justin, do you want to tell people where they can find you? On the yes. Web? So you can find me uh, at just an accurate TV, uh, pretty much all socials, and of course here and on our Facebook group. Yep, do join the Facebook group. We are trying to grow this community. We're trying to um, trying to build something, and everybody who is on there and everybody who listens, you're all part of this. And whether you, you know, like it or not, yeah, it's too <laughs> late now. Um, and respect to myself you can find me on most of the socials but i'm mostly active on mastodon i think twitter and threads is just something i've got at this point good stuff good man (laughs) um but yeah thank you marlin for joining us and Mm, absolutely just blowing us away with the fantastic work you're doing keep it up man Thank you very much for for having me and doing all this this research. When you said you'd you'd seen things, I, was, I had no idea what you saw. But yeah, that's that's a lot of videos and and everything. Very thorough. It's it was fascinating. It was, and I'm not just saying that. It was truly, truly fascinating. 
Um, thank you to Sci-Fi and Couch for sending mm -hmm. in some fantastic questions. Yes. And most importantly, thank you to everyone who takes time out of their busy day to listen to two idiots. And in this case, one not idiot. Just talk about tabletop role-playing games. So with that, thank you very much, everyone. See you later, folks. Yeah.